right, well, you can go ahead uh, and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read that passage once we're there. Uh, and then after that, we'll jump right in. If you need a Bible, if you put up a hand, somebody in the hat would be happy uh, to bring you one. Um, but we'll use it. I'll ask you to follow along, look at different verses. So um, we'll be in a couple different spots, but First John 4, 17 through 18 will be the primary text that we'll look at this morning. I'll give you just another minute, and then I'll go ahead and read those two verses. In 1 John 4, 17 and 18, uh, the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, years later now writing to the church, writes these two verses. He says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What do you fear? I'm not talking about those little phobias that we often joke about and have fun with. You know, I'm afraid of heights, I'm afraid of snakes or or spiders. those are fears. Uh, but I'm talking about the, the things that we legitimately fear. Uh, things that cause dread when, when you think about them. Things that keep you up at night. Things that wake you up in the morning. Fear. What, what do you fear? For you, maybe that fear is financial. And so that comes in the form of Bills that come in each month. And so you, you fear how you can possibly make ends meet for yourself and your family. Maybe it's medical. I think we probably all share this. Every time you experience some strange pain or, or sensation in your body, you immediately think the worst and you begin to fear what could possibly be wrong with you. Or maybe it's fear of letting others down. Your parents your teachers, your coaches, your boss, your spouse. You live with this fear that you're not going to measure up to someone's standards for you and that they will be disappointed in you. Or there's the fear of failure. You fear not meeting the deadline at work, not doing the job as well as you want, not getting the grade you want, not performing as well as you'd like, not being as successful of an athlete or artist or as a musician as you would like to. Or maybe you live with the fear of the unknown. When you don't know the future or can't control the outcome of a situation, you you just become petrified with fear of what could possibly happen. Or maybe you have a fear of death. And I think we all have that one in common. That we, we, it's simple, we just look ahead and we fear the inevitable death that we all face. Now, I believe that the passage we just read in 1 John does address those fears or any fears in our life, but not directly. 
So when, per, when John says perfect love casts out fear, he's not directly speaking to those different fears in our lives. He's talking about another fear, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But even though John does not address those fears directly in this passage, I do believe he's addressing them indirectly. And I do believe that one of the applications we can draw from these two verses is the driving out of all kinds of fear in our lives. But in order to reach that point of application, we're going to have to do a little bit of work in other parts of the Bible and then come back to this passage. And I hope that by the end of this, your fears of all sorts will be driven out of you. That being said, let's go backwards and let's do some work. So we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3. That's all the way beginning of the Bible, just the third chapter. Um, we'll be back in First John if you want to put a bookmark in or keep a finger in. But we're going back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. When you think about fear, fear is a part of our human existence in this world. We, we all deal with it. We experience it. However, fear was not a par, part of God's original creation. You think about the first two chapters of Genesis, when God created everything and it was very good, there was nothing to fear. Sin had not entered the world, and neither had fear. There was no sickness to fear. There was no death to fear. There was no relational fear among people, no fear of letting others down. Adam and Eve lived, lived, Adam and Eve lived in perfect relational harmony with one another. And most of all, there's no fear from God, no relational fear with him. But they lived in perfect harmony with God. And I imagine that was a blissful existence, not having to go to bed at night with worries and fears on your brain, not waking up early in the morning, being kept up by persistent fears. But we, we know the story of what happened. In Genesis 3, at the beginning, Adam and Eve disobey God. They, they eat the fruit. And one of the consequences of their sin was the entrance of fear into the world. And so look at Genesis 3, start in verse 8. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Right, so this is after they sin, Adam and Eve have just rebelled. Just imagine this. Put yourself in the, their situation. You just brought sin into the world, the first ever sin, first ever act of rebellion against God. And now they hear the sound of God walking in the garden. Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Just imagine you're in, you're hiding yourself from the presence of the Lord and, and God calls out, Where are you? Just to imagine that. And verse 10, here's Adam's response. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Fear. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God out of fear. What were they afraid of? What was it that was causing fear and dread? It was, it was God himself. It was God's presence. They're fearful of God's presence now. 
And rightly so. Back in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, in those verses, God gives the explicit command to Adam not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of fruit of the... Do you ever find yourself struggling to say that sequence of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You know, the tree. (laughs) He explicitly tells them, don't eat of this tree. And he, God warns them and says, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Now, God is not some wicked tyrant walking around looking for some innocent, undeserving person to, to strike down and, and smite. But that's not God. God is a holy, just, and righteous judge who rightly punishes sin and unrighteousness. And so in this case, back in Genesis 2, God gave Adam this command. And God, being holy and just and righteous, tells Adam that if he disobeys the command, if he disobeys God, then judgment will come. That's fair. That's just. That's, that's right of God to give that, that command. And here in Genesis 3, 9 and 10, that day has arrived for Adam and Eve. Justice has come. Adam has disobeyed God. He's broken the, the commandment he was given. And now God is walking in his midst in the garden looking for him. And Adam is afraid. He is fearful and he is filled with dread at the presence of the Lord. And rightly so, because the righteous, just judge of the universe has arrived. Adam's judgment day has come. The day God warned him about back in Genesis 2. I believe this was the first instance of fear in our world. And ever since then, fear has been a normal part of our existence in the world. I also believe that all other fears that we have have arisen out of that initial fear that Adam had when he was confronted by God. So in in, in other words, I believe that the root of all our fears is the fear of God. The fear that we as sinners will one day stand before God and face our judgment just as Adam had to. Let me try to explain what I mean. This might sound obvious, but trees start... As seeds. So imagine an acorn, the seed of an oak tree. That acorn, when it's it's planted, over time will sprout. It'll it'll grow out roots. And then the sprout will come out of the ground and over time it'll grow into a, a trunk and then branches and, and limbs and then leaves. On that day when Adam sinned and he was confronted by God, the seed of fear was implanted in him. And over time, that seed of fear began to grow roots and sprout up and give rise to all kinds of other fear. And so all other fears find their source in the one ultimate fear, the fear of God and his judgment. That is the root of all our fears. And this seed of fear was passed on to us from Adam. Romans 5.12 makes clear that we all somehow participated in Adam's sin. That his sin was passed on to us. We inherited it. So that we are all born 
sinners. And because we are born sinners, we are all born with that seed of fear in us. That fear of God and his judgment is inherently part of us as natural born sinners. John Calvin said it well, if you look at this quote. He said, by nature indeed, we dread the presence of God. And that justly. For as he is the judge of the world and our sins hold us guilty, death and hell must come to our minds whenever we think of God. As natural born sinners, we are born with that natural dread of the presence of God. And that is it's just and right for us too. Because we are guilty before him. Now that seed of fear is in us all. And that seed has now grown roots in our hearts and it has sprouted and it has grown up branches and put out leaves. And so all these other kinds of fears are produced. And I think that if you were to take any of those fears that we talked about or any other fear, and if you were to start with it and trace it back and see what's underneath it or what's giving rise to it, I think if you were to trace it back far enough all the way to the very bottom, what you would find at the very bottom of all your fears is the fear of God and his judgment. Just think of the tree. If you start with any leaf on the tree, start at the very tip of it, and you work back to see what's behind it, what's giving life to that leaf, you'll work back to the little branch it's on, and then to the limb, and then back to the trunk, and then you work your way down until you find the master's root system underneath that's giving the life, that's nourishing all the leaves on that tree. Just like with a tree, if you start with any of your fears and work backwards far enough, at the very bottom, you will find the root of all your fear is the fear of God and his judgment. Now let's go back and look at that list of fears we talked about already and see how this might work. Let's say you have a crippling fear of failure and letting others down. Well, if you work that back far enough and, and get at the bottom of that, you'll find that at the root of that is the fear that you have failed before God and you have let him down so that you were not accepted before him and you now face his judgment. Let's say you're fearful about your finances. You work back far enough from that fear, you'll find that the root of that fear is the the fear of God, because you, you fear him as a judge. You, you don't view him as a, a loving, benevolent, heavenly father who cares for you and will provide for you because you only can fear his judgment. And so we find ourselves worrying that we won't be cared for by him. Let's say you're fearful of the unknown. Go back far enough, you'll find that the, the fear of the unknown is the, the fear of the future. And when you think about the future, the ultimate fear of the future is the fear that in the end, when it's all said and done, everything won't turn out okay. That in the end, something will go amiss and you'll be left and something terribly wrong will have happened. And at the end of that, is the fear that in the end, when it's all said and done, we will have to face God and his judgment. 
They say we fear getting sick and we fear dying. So like I said before, every ache or pain sends you into a panic. You worry that it could be the start of a terminal illness. You start Googling everything it could be on the internet. We all do that. And you think about that and you're distraught with fear because you fear death that could possibly come at the end of that. And if you work back that fear far enough, you'll find at the root of it the the fear of death and judgment that follows death. The root of all our fears is the fear of God and his judgment. And as I've already said, we are right to fear God and his judgment because we have in our sin, in our rebellion, brought his just and holy wrath upon ourselves. But, but what if the root of all our fears was destroyed? What if God, in his great love, made a way for his judgment to be averted from us so that we no longer have to fear him? Now we come to our primary passage in 1 John 4. So if you've kept a finger there, you can go back to 1 John chapter 4. And look first with me at verse 17. Verse 17, he writes, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. I don't know about you, but when I read the second part of that verse, in light of everything we've already said about sinners and being fearful of God's judgment... How on earth can we look forward to the day of judgment and have have confidence, as John writes here? We are all sinners by nature, and as sinners, we have a a natural-born dread of God and his judgment. It's implanted in us. It's deep in us. We rightly fear him and his judgment. How then can we possibly face the day of judgment Without fear, but with confidence. When you, you think of yourself and you, you look ahead to that day when you will stand before God in judgment, how can you, a sinner, a rebel, a guilty transgressor, a wicked, depraved, idolatrous, God-haters stand before the God against whom you have sinned. And by the way, that, uh, scripturally, that is who we are, biblically. Let's not form our ideas about who we are apart from Scripture. That's who so Scripture calls us. If that's who we are before God, how on earth can we have confidence that he will accept us into his presence? John answers that question, or he provides the answer before this, back in verse 10. So right in 1 John 4, just go up a few verses and look at verse 10. The answer is here in this verse. It explains how we can have confidence for the day of judgment. He writes in verse 10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. By the way, our Love for God does not begin with us. Our relationship with God does not begin with us. 
We don't reach out and initiate things with God because by our very nature, we are sinners, enemies of God. The only reason we love God is because he first loved us. And in his love, this is what he did. Look at the rest of that verse. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God's great love for us caused him, motivated him to do what? To send his son as the propitiation for our sins. If you're reading the NLT, it says that God sent his son as a sacrifice to take away sins. And indeed, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He was a sacrifice to take away our sins. As 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. On the cross, our sin was given to Jesus. He, He bore it in his body. And when he died, our sin died with him. And he took away our sins in that way. So it's absolutely true when it says that he was a sacrifice to take away sins. However, that translation of that verse doesn't quite tell the full story of what Christ accomplished. Jesus did more than just take away and negate and wipe out our sins. He also turned away God's wrath towards us and replaced it with favor. In other words, if you think of yourself as having a great debt before God, this this infinite amount of debt, Not only at the cross did Jesus cancel that debt and pay it and wipe it out. That's good news if he's done that. But if that's all he's done, all he's done is brought us back to a place of neutrality before God. He's brought us back to a place of, think of the bank account, zero. The balance is still zero. No debt, but the balance is zero. We still have nothing. But the good news is even better than that. Jesus has accomplished more than just bringing us to a place of neutrality before God. He's done more than just wipe away our debt. But he has actually taken God's wrath towards us and replaced it with God's favor. It's as though he paid our debt and then deposited into our bank account the endless riches of his righteousness. And that's what the word propitiation means. It means that God in Christ has turned his wrath away from us and now his wrath and judgment towards us has been replaced with God's love and favor and benevolence. This is the greatest display of God's perfect love for us. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to take away our sins, to turn away his wrath, and to make it so that God now looks upon us with love, favor, and benevolence. This is the greatest display of God's perfect love. And this, right there in verse 10, explains how we can have confidence before God at the day of judgment. And this is the reality that drives out fear in our lives. So verse 17, how can we have confidence for the day of judgment? Look at verse 10, because God has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He goes on in verse 18 to say this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's that, that main 
portion, that main phrase, we're dealing with perfect love casts out fear. When he says cast out fear, the word John uses here is, is, is a strong word. That's why it's translated cast out in the ESV. If you read in the NLT, it says expels. If you read in the NIV or maybe the NET, those translated as drives out. But you get the picture with all that. Perfect love casts out, it drives out, it expels. This is not a, a, a gentle setting aside of something. It's not carefully removing something and just kind of setting it over here. It's, it's driving it out forcefully. So that he says that's what perfect love does. It drives out our fear with force. He goes on. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Now, in when he says fear has to do with punishment, the punishment he's talking about is the fear of God and his judgment. We know that because in the previous verse, he says that we can have confidence for the day of judgment. Right? So when he, he's talking about punishment, verse 18, the punishment he's talking about is the punishment at the day of judgment. On top of that, the word used for punishment here in 1 John 4.18 is only used one other time, and that's in Matthew 25.46. If you want to turn there, again, keep a finger in 1 John 4. But this Matthew 25, 46 is the only other instance in which, in which this word for punishment is used in the New Testament. And when Jesus uses it here in Matthew 25, 46, he's talking about the final judgment. He's talking about separating the sheep from the goats. And in verse 46, he says this about the goats. He says, and these will go away into eternal punishment. Exact same word John uses in 1 John 4.18. So when John talks about punishment in 1 John 4.18, he's speaking about the same punishment that Jesus is speaking about in Matthew 25.46. Eternal punishment, judgment before God. So when John says in verse 18 that perfect love casts out fear... The fear that he's talking about is the fear of God and his judgment. And so John's point in this verse is that when we understand God's perfect love for us in Christ Jesus, when we understand that God's love motivated him to send Christ as a propitiation for our sins, when we understand that on the cross Christ took God's judgment upon himself, replaced it with God's favor towards us, then understanding those things, will our fear of God and his judgment be driven out of us and we can have confidence for the day of judgment? Perfect love casts out the fear of God and his judgment. Now, here's what this means for you. If you go back to Matthew 25, 46, if you kept a finger there, and you look at those words, Jesus distinguishes between two eternal destinies for people. He says, 
the, the goats, they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous will be sent away into eternal life. Matthew 25, 46 is a scary verse. That, reading that can strike up fear in you. I mean, you read Jesus' words, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so you read that, and you find yourself, how, how can I be included among the righteous? What do I have to do to be counted among those? I want to be the second group, righteous into eternal life. And as you sit there and wonder, you're filled with fear. How, how, do I, how do I know that I'm included in that second group? How do I know I'm not in the first? That's a scary verse. If you understand what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 4, If you understand that, you can look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 46, and you can read those and have no fear that you will be included among those who are sent into eternal punishment, but you can have absolute confidence that you will be included among the righteous who will go into eternal life. Not because of your righteousness, not because of your merits, not because of your works, not because you were such a good person and you earned that standing before God. But because of what John says in 1 John 4.10, because God in his love sent Jesus to be the propitiation for your sins. Because in his great love, Jesus' righteousness, his goodness, his perfection is imputed or credited to you through faith. So that you are now counted as being righteous before God. And because you are counted as being righteous before God, you who are in Christ are included among the righteous who will enter into eternal life at the final judgment, just as Jesus says. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And if you are in Christ, there is no punishment to fear because your punishment has all been endured and borne on the cross by Christ. And in the place of punishment, he has replaced that with love and favor and benevolence. I mean, let, let this sink in. Don't, don't miss this. Look at the words in Matthew 25, 46, and think about this. There, Jesus, in his own words, distinguishes two eternal destinies. There is eternal punishment, and there is eternal life. If you are in Christ, if you have truly trusted in Christ alone for your salvation and been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you need not fear judgment. And you may have confidence for that day. And you can read that verse and know that you will be counted among the righteous because of Christ's righteousness on your behalf. And so at this point, I would just pause and challenge you to look at that verse, Matthew 25, 46. Which of the two groups are you in? 
Are you among the goats who enter into eternal punishment? Or have you turned to Christ in faith and been saved by his righteousness so that you will enter into eternal life? And if you are in the first group, I would challenge you today. Believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Turn, trust in him alone. See God's perfect love for you in Christ. Believe it. Trust in him alone. Turn from everything else you're trusting in for your salvation. Your works, your own acts of righteousness, trust in those of Christ alone. And make today the day of salvation. Be saved so that you too can look at Matthew 25, 46 and have confidence for the day of judgment. And if you don't, your, your fears in this life will find their, their fruition at the day of judgment. You'll find all your fears in this life have come true and then some. So I would plead with you, make today the day of salvation. Turn from your own works. Turn from your own righteousness. Trust in Christ and him alone. at the beginning of the sermon, I read 1 John 4, 17 through 18. And I said that I believe that passage addresses the fears of everyday life, but not directly. And I said that in order to let those two verses speak to our everyday fears, we would need to go back and do some work until we get to that point of application. Well, we're here. We're ready to, to make that application now. And so I believe that if we take everything that's been said now, if we apply it to ourselves, one of the fruits of that will be the driving out of all kinds of fear in our lives. Let me show you how. At the beginning of the sermon, I showed you from Genesis 3, 9, and 10 that the root of all fear is the fear of God and his judgment. And we we talked about how that, that seed of fear was passed on to the rest of humanity and how all other fears grew up out of that one great fear. Remember, we compared our fears to a tree. We said that the, the roots gave life to that tree and they and get, bore fruit and leaves and branches and limbs. Now, follow me here. If that's the root of our fears, the, root of, the fear of God and his judgment, if the root of all our fears has been destroyed, what should happen to all other fears that grew up out of it? If you cut the main roots of a tree, what will happen to it? It will die slowly but surely. If you cut the roots of a tree, the tree will die. Brothers and sisters, at the cross of Jesus Christ, God laid an axe to the root of your fear. In his perfect love, he sent his son to be the propitiation for your sins. And because of that, you no longer have to fear God and his judgment. And you may stand before God confident for that day, confident in the righteousness of Christ. And as a result of that, as a result of the root of your fear being cut, what ought to happen to all those other fears that have grown up out of it? Every fear, every worry, every anxiety, every bit of dread that has sprung up from that original fear will slowly die with it. Matthew 10, 28. 
Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In that verse, Jesus tells us that the only legitimate fear is the fear of God, because God is the only one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So the worst thing that can happen to us, the worst anyone or anything can do to us is to destroy our bodies. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear that. Don't fear man, he says. Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, if we are in Christ, and if our fear of God and his judgment has been destroyed at the cross, then what's left to fear? God's perfect love for us in Christ has guaranteed that in the end, everything will be okay for us. He purchased that result at the cross by his blood. So perfect love casts out fear because perfect love has cut the root of all fear. Just as a tree dies when you cut the roots, so will your fears begin to die when you begin to realize that God's perfect love in Christ has cut the root fear of God in his judgment. That is how that passage in 1 John 4 speaks to your fears. That is how that applies to your fears in everyday life, whatever those fears may be. Now, we know it's not so simple as that, is it? It's not so simple as just putting on a smile and acting like everything is okay. It's not so simple as just having a, a positive attitude. Uh, you, if you've been through trials and suffering, you know that uh, serious suffering will kick a positive attitude in the teeth. And I can tell you that I'm right there. One of the challenges of preaching is that we preach above ourselves. We don't, we don't preach something that we are living out 100% ourselves. It's not that it's hypocritical, but, hypocritical, but we preach above ourselves. And I, I can confess to you that's the case with me here in 1 John 4. At the end of 1 John 4.18, he says, Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I can tell you that's me. I have fear of the future and of the unknown. If I were to wake up tomorrow with some strange ache in my body, I would be fearful. To a certain extent, I fear failures. To a certain extent, I fear what others think and of letting others down. And so I'm not there either. And my guess is, as you probably aren't either. We know this in our minds, yet we still struggle with fear. The question then is, how can we be perfected in love, as he says in, at the end of verse 18? If we fear because we have not been perfected in love, how then do we, how do we get there? How do we get to the point where God's perfect love is brought to its full end, to its completion in us, so then we don't fear? So then we, we wake up and we, we have no fear of the future or fear of sickness or of death or whatever. 
I think the answer to that question is we look to Christ over and over and over again, day by day by day. Because it is in Christ that God's perfect love for us is displayed and made known to us. In Christ, we have our great assurance before God. In Christ, we have assurance that we need not fear God and his judgment. So when you are tempted to fear, get your eyes off of you and your circumstances, but look to Christ. See his perfect love. See how Christ has made an end of all your sin. See how your sinful soul is counted free before God and you stand before him perfect and holy and blameless and let that drive out your fear. When you're tempted to fear, think about your heavenly father. Through Christ, he is no longer your judge, but your heavenly father, your loving, gracious, benevolent father who cares for his children. In his grace, he may not keep us from pain and suffering in this life, but he has promised to use our suffering for our ultimate good and for his glory. And when you're tempted to fear, look to your heavenly father and know that you can call him your heavenly father through Christ and his finished work. Look to Christ. And lastly, when you are tempted to fear, look ahead to the future. Not just three hours from now, not just three weeks from now, not just three months from now or even three years from now, but look ahead to the ultimate future. Look ahead to the day of judgment. As you look ahead to that day, think about God's perfect love in Christ that has freed you from all judgment and punishment and condemnation. And think about the reality that you can have confidence for that day because of what Christ has done. And as you think about that, as that gives you confidence, realize and understand that everything's going to be okay in the end. That, as the psalmist says, my my flesh and my heart may may fail. But you, you know that when it's all said and done, you will enter into eternal life because of the perfect love of God in Christ Jesus. This is what enabled the Apostle Paul to face so many trials and so much suffering. He talks about it in Philippians 4. He talks about it in Romans 8. Paul was able to face any circumstance, any trial, any suffering, any fear, because he looked ahead to the future and saw that in Christ his future was utterly and completely secure, and he let God's perfect love in Christ drive out all fear in his life. We ought to do the same. So my plea for you today is look to Christ and see in him God's perfect love. Worship team, would you come forward? As we close, I just wanted to take a minute just to say thank you uh, for these past four years. Um, if you read that, the letter I wrote a while ago, I said it in there, but I'll say it again. I, I love this church. I love you guys. I love the people. Um, and I'm so thankful for my time here at True North. And I'm thankful for you guys uh, being patient with me and being gracious and giving me this opportunity, even when I was probably young and immature in a lot of ways. Um, so thank you guys. Um, I will miss you. I will always remember and love this church. 
Um, so I just wanted to say thank you. And with that, let's stand and let's pray. Father, we come before you humbly confessing our fear. Lord, we have fears of all kinds. and Above all things, we confess our fear of you and your judgment. But Lord, we pray that you would turn our eyes to Christ. Let us see your perfect love in him and may that drive out all fear of punishment. Father, I pray for all of us in here who have not been perfected in love. Lord, I pray that we would look to Christ and that as we do so, your perfect love would reach its full end in us. I pray that when we're tempted to fear, we would look to Christ and see your perfect love. And I pray that that would drive out fear of all kinds in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would live with great confidence in this life, knowing that we can stand before you with great confidence because of what Christ has done. So, Lord, do this in our lives. Drive out fear of all sorts. In Jesus' name, amen.